what if we could accommodate these notions of consciousness? What if we could really accommodate the notion that, well, we don't begin when we're born, we don't end when we die. And if we could use this marvelous science, and if Western medicine could expand its reach a little bit to open to reading other journals, to reading other disciplines, we'd have an inroad to expanding the worldview of Western medicine. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. As a young psychotherapist, my first job was at a government-funded mental health center. We treated a variety of outpatient clients from mild adjustment issues to very complicated psychiatric disorders. One day at staffing, our supervising psychiatrist called me a master diagnostician. Although the compliment was rather flattering, I was acutely aware of the limitations and danger of reducing the dynamic, complex human experience down to a simple code or label. Throughout my career as a psychotherapist and eventually a spiritual guide, I've seen hundreds of clients with a variety of mystical, spiritual, and religious experiences. Many referred with a diagnosis of psychopathology and over-medicated. I became fascinated with high-functioning mystics and the correlation of very high levels of intelligence and creative genius. The medical model historically would diagnose schizophrenia, delusions, hallucinations, bipolar disorder, and thought disorders, rather than try to make sense of the ineffable mystical experience. This split between science and spiritual experience has been very profound in the mental health realm and has caused incredible long-term pain and suffering. But all of that is beginning to change. Why do people have metaphysical and mystical experiences? My co-host and I are exploring the purpose of these experiences and what they tell us about humanity's future and potential. Today, our guest has had firsthand experience with this very topic. She is a physician, a formerly misdiagnosed patient, and a revolutionary pioneer in the synthesis of science, holistic health, and contemporary spirituality. She has explored the ancient wisdom and modern science of consciousness, and we are going to have a fascinating dialogue about mysticism and mental health. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths, bring your awareness to your heart, relax, open your mind, and settle into our essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. First, my co-host, Dr. Paul J. Mills, is Professor of Public Health and Family Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. He has over 400 scientific publications in the fields of pharmacology, oncology, cardiology, psychoneuroimmunology, behavior medicine, and integrative health. He's the author of the book, Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. And our guest today has a fascinating biography. I'm going to read a lengthier introduction today because it will help to set the context for our conversation. Patricia Musum, MD, a pioneer in the synthesis of science, holistic health, and contemporary spirituality, has distinguished herself as a practitioner, educator, research scientist, and author. Dr. Musum has been an influential force in shaping the landscape of healthcare options available today. As a thought leader, Patricia has forged new ground that contributed to the establishment of the Office of Alternative Medicine at the National Institutes of Health, now the National Center for Contemporary, or excuse me, Complementary and Integrative Health. As an educator, 
She founded the Association of American Medical Colleges. See, I told you it's a really long bio, but it is so impressive. I want you to hear her body of work. So forgive me for for stumbling over these, but she's founded the Association of American Medical Colleges' first initiative in alternative and complementary medicine, leading medical schools throughout the United States to add courses in the field. Her original bioelectromagnetics laboratory research at Mount Sinai School of Medicine investigated distant healer phenomena, qigong, and homeopathy. Since then, she has studied transmedium, spiritual psychic healing phenomena, as well as the links between consciousness and health. Inspired by her personal experiences, she pursued training in acupuncture, homeopathy, Ayurveda, mind-body medicine, yoga, energy medicine, and functional medicine. And in 2008, she founded Transformational Medicine TM, a whole person approach to healing, wellness, and living. Her groundbreaking book, Beyond Medicine, a physician's revolutionary prescription for achieving absolute health and finding inner peace has been hailed by Larry Dossey as the only health and healing book you may ever need. And Dr. Amusum, I am so happy to have you here. Can I call you Trish? Absolutely. Please do. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how I can live up to that introduction now. <laughs> well, I'm wow. going to apologize to our listeners and apologize to both you and Paul for having me read that lengthy bio. But I do think that it's essential that our listeners understand your journey before we take them into the intimate details of your experience, your life experience, really, as a mystic yourself, because it's so important. I mentioned in the intro, I have this affinity for really high-functioning mystics who are so intelligent, so creative, and it's amazing. It's so fun to really watch what happens when we can normalize these experiences and and even make them more normal than ordinary consciousness. So I'm excited to dig into this conversation and welcome Paul too. Hello. Hello, Julie. Hello, Trish. And as we move forward, I have a traditional first question, Trish, that I want to put out here because, and, it, and it's kind of fun. For nine years on the Dr. Julie show, All Things Connected, I would ask my guests, what does all things connected mean to you? And when I read your book, the in the very early pages even, it was all things are connected, all things connected, all things are connected. And, and that phrase, along with beyond, beyond medicine, beyond this, beyond that, there were a lot of beyonds. And I loved those two together. I loved how the meanings of that just emerged throughout all of your pages. So I'm wondering, can you share with our listeners, how does your life and career really reflect the reality of all things connected? You know, I, I had a number of very profound life-changing experiences that led me to understand the absolute ineffable connection of all of us, of all living beings, of Gaia, of in a, of of sentient beings of non sentient beings the interconnectedness of everything that exists that we can define as existing which is still limiting in itself if we can even define it rain me you know if i get too esoteric please <laughs> <laughs> you know my my journey has just been a reflection of my experiences i had a very early experience that i share share with readers in the introduction of my book an intense period of psychic experiences Long story short, if, for, for those of you who may have read the introduction, I ended up being diagnosed as possibly schizophrenic, possibly manic depressive, and I was destined to be medicated for life, locked involuntarily against my will in a psychiatric ward of a hospital. The experiences themselves were affirming and literally life-changing, uh, forever changed my understanding of what reality was. And I came to know that there was a reality beyond my thinking brain, beyond the experience of my five senses. I came to know that that love, fearlessness, connection is our essential nature. 
oneness is our essential nature. Oneness with all is our essential nature. And suffice to say, I haven't always been able to embody that knowing throughout my journey. That's been part of my journey as well. There have been experiences that I've had where I have experienced the separation, that the dissolution of that oneness that really everything is part of. And it's through those, I really will say through those experiences of separation that were healing opportunities for me that taught me how to return to that incredible blissful experience I had for weeks, one very snowy, wintry summer, uh, snowy, wintry winters in New England, excuse me, where I did experience really profound peace and profound state of of ease and joy and light, no matter what was going on. I knew everything was okay and everything would be okay. And it was a transcendent feeling that I had. And as again, I said, I haven't, I haven't always kept that experience with me. I live in a body. I live in a material world, that it, a world that is partly material, and my own journey for whatever reason. And I just, I, I deign not to try to figure out the whys, but just the how do I navigate that and what can I make of it and how can it be a tool for my service, for my purpose here, whatever that may be. Um, so through my own journeying of illness, of separation, I've learned to how, how to return to that state that I experienced. And from time to time, I am pretty psychic, intuitive. I have those tendencies, but uh, I've learned how to do that, how to return to experience that state of oneness. And it is very much my um, mission to help people to fully experience, first of all, to know that the state of oneness is our essential nature. It is the way we were born to be. But we come in and we lose that. You know, we, we come in with all sorts of stuff, stuff happens to us. So it's been influential in guiding my journey as I've had my challenges and my struggles, which really are not challenges and struggles or opportunities to use the various tools that I've learned through my own studies, from my own experiences of healing to return and to return again and to know that I can always return again to that place of connection to that place of communion, to that place of oneness, to that place of real bliss. Um, and it may sound woo-woo or oversimplistic, but it really is something that I truly experience. That was a long-winded answer to a short question. <laughs> it's perfect, really. And much of what you just said, I feel it addresses the primary question of why we're having this uh, this series, Main Street Mystics, with which Julie mentioned at the very beginning, which asked the question, why do we as people have metaphysical and mystical experiences? And I want to read a little bit that you wrote in your book to help drive this deeper with us. And also uh, it helps address that question of why we have these experiences and how they can carry us forward through our lives. And you wrote that perhaps the most compelling experience of these psychic experiences you were having was the ever-present peace of mind, a feeling of lightness and joy. And importantly, with this transcendent feeling state came the most certain truth that there was more to life than the experience of the five senses, and that this more is the essential key to a greater reality, a greater truth. And I just thought that was so beautiful when I read your book. And I so appreciated your answer that you just gave us, driving home some of the foundational insights of your experiences. And that is the, the oneness of life itself, our total connectedness amongst each other as human beings with nature, the world, and the universe beyond. And I love, too, that you described that even at times in your life since then, when you've had stressors of different kinds that have maybe pushed you more into a state of separation where that oneness isn't so foundationally in the forefront of your experience, that still internally that knowingness resided. And the peace from that and the direction that provided you in your life has never gone away, even if it's not at the forefront. And I think that's one of the great gifts of why we have these metaphysical and mystical experiences. They show us our essential nature, as you were writing, and give us an ongoing, ever-present orientation to our, to our lives. 
I'm just going to expand on that because I, I love this. I love, Trish, that you talk about essential nature. And we've been kind of playing with this tagline of normalizing the non-ordinary. And I was just reading an article where the author suggested, let's flip that around and say, normal consciousness is that expanded consciousness. And what have we humans done by trying to bring it down into this little box that we can describe and talk about it? And they said, what, what would happen if we really saw that expanded consciousness as our essential nature, as our true state of beingness on this planet? So I love that you write that with the essential nature part. And I'm wondering, as, as we're looking at your experience, and both of you have done so much research, and I do want to just clarify that your book is really a beautiful manual about health. And you help so many people, and I and I want our listeners to to go find this book. But we're really focusing in on this idea of these experiences today for this series. And Trish, I'm wondering for you if you then have studied more. You've you know so much about consciousness. You've studied consciousness, and between both of you, Paul and Trish, your experience, Trish, was like this like finite experience that was full on and then you were medicated and it like stopped abruptly. And then you do write that you've had, you, you do have other clairvoyant experiences you have, you know, and my point, my question is really on the varied experiences of all of us, like those listeners out there going, okay, Dr. Amusement Museum had this, this kind of experience. And we've heard Julie talk about her experiences. We've heard Paul talk about their experiences. Everyone is so different as we're really ushering in this essential nature and welcoming that into, you know, we're calling this main street mystics because we do want this to be an elevated conversation that brings all of us to the normalcy of this. So what other kinds of experiences are you both aware of? Like when people's gifts turn on. Sometimes they're overwhelming, like a fire hydrant, you know, that knocks us over. Sometimes they trickle on just like a a drippy faucet and they come on slowly. And so I just want to throw that out with your studies, with our, the research on consciousness, where we're at right now with science and spirituality. What are those? What's the average experience like? Those many experiences happen throughout my day often, and just a little tangential point is that I'm I'm a meditator, and meditation is a very powerful tool that helps me to go beyond my thinking brain, to go beyond the experience of my five senses that takes me elsewhere. And there are lots of other things that I do that do that as well. And those many experiences are just continued reminder of our oneness, of our connection. Sometimes they manifest as communications from people that are no longer with us. Um, I've had some really interesting experiences with my mom, who is no longer with us, um, including uh, psychokinetic things, things moving that I'm pretty sure weren't moving on their own. I also able to I I say this as if I have some extraordinary ability that nobody else has. We all have these abilities. We all have the potential to experience all these abilities. I happen to be able to know what somebody's needing from a distance in terms of their healing, where their emotional wound is, where their um, Achilles is, what is the fulcrum that needs shifting for them to move towards a state of balance that will enable them to feel weller in their lives, whether it's a bodily issue, emotional issue, although they're really never separate. So I have an ability to, to know that. Energetically, I feel it. But again, I don't consider myself any more gifted with any more potential than anybody else. We all have these abilities. It's just allowing ourselves to be in the proper place, mentally, emotionally, energetically, physically, to be open to them. When I get out of the way, the way appears. When I get out of my way, my way appears. Mm-hmm. And I like to say, I think I say this in the book, Miracles are the natural order of things when we get out of the way. Mm, yeah. So I 
have psychic experiences with my dog. I'm convinced my dog is capable of remote viewing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And I've had some very unusual experiences with my dog. Mostly it manifests in my work with, uh, with individuals. Yeah. I'm going to clarify. Thank you. That was beautiful. And that was like an everyday description of many of our listeners would go, oh yeah, I have those moments. I have those capacities. They're innate capacities. I can do that too. You know, a lot of people don't have the psychokinesis and can't bend forks. You know, we're still fascinated by that one for the most part. But maybe what you could do for us, Trish, before I ask Paul to jump in here is to clarify what it was like when that the fire hose came in. In, in that early 20s, when you had your experience before you were hospitalized, what's the difference between that experience and how it is now for you? Um, that experience was constant. That experience was a continuous experience, you know, through, through days, through weeks. Wasn't interrupted by my return to my experience of separation and and the notion that I am, I am, I am I, you know, in, in the Western culture, we identify with, with I very much with the egoic mind, um, less so in the ancient, in other cultures. So it was just continuous. It was just absolutely continuous. There's no, no separation. And now it's, now shall we say it's interrupted by the activities of of life sometimes that move me away from that place. I don't think that's a bad thing uh, or a negative thing. It's just the experience of being human. And those interruptions that move me away from that place of connection are very important because it's really about knowing how to return, how to return to that place of connection and oneness where I'm going on longer, but where we experience fearlessness, where we experience what I consider we're either in fear or in faith, or we're either in fear or we're experiencing embodying love. So where we experience that separation, we can know how to return to that place of fearlessness, that place where love is the kind of universal energy um, that permeates all, all beings, including Mother Earth including the mice that have been infested, infesting my apartment for the past month. <laughs> I'm, I need to be eternally connected to them as well. Trish, thank you for that. I really appreciated many aspects of what you just spoke about, particularly that our journey really as human beings is to return to the love and that experience of oneness as much as possible during our human journey. Also was reminded when you were speaking about the the fire hose you experienced as a young person. When I was in early college too, I had a a similar kind of awakening that went on for many months, but I chose not to tell anybody about it. So uh, perhaps that protected me and I didn't end up in in a psych ward against my will and all that journey that you went through. And then the the challenges and the learnings from that, which I'm sorry that did occur to you. And Julie, I wanted to get back to your question too. You were asking, how is it these days that this sense of awakening and opening that is occurring in more and more people, how is it manifesting? For my sign, I've seen it a few different ways, but primarily there's been more of the experience of the transpersonal nature for people I know. And this includes students at the university. And, And often, for the most part, depending on a person's background, it's very challenging for them. Because they don't have a frame of reference. They might not have been studying the Eastern disciplines to know about these concepts of ego dissolution or even some of the esoteric Western traditions, esoteric Christianity, where there are concepts and discussions about leaving the egoic identity behind. And I've been seeing more and more of that. And I think that's a natural consequence of these, uh, this increase in vibrations and frequency to help uh, further awaken humanity back to the love that you were speaking about, Trish. In addition to that, and probably would say naturally so, there are more, let's say, uh, metaphysical experiences and mystical experiences unfolding spontaneously too. It seems that people have an easier time managing those because they might have some cosmology about it, seeing a deceased loved one or an angelic type being. They have a frame of reference for it. But this dissolution of the small self, so to speak, not so much 
cosmology around that. And that that's challenging. And we need more people out there who have a sense of it, who can help people who are going through these experiences. And I think there are some, some disciplines and maybe integrative psychiatry, certainly depth psychology and others where there are resources to help people. That brings up a really good point because psychotherapy isn't necessarily where we need to be during this awakening process, right? And I, I, I opened the show with my own experience of traditional Western medicine that pathologized, you know, pathologized and, and, and made that just not okay to have these experiences. I had gave a speech earlier in the year and quoted that Pew Research said that 49% of Americans had had mystical experiences. And that was in 2009. And then the experts say it's much more. But I just saw in 2022, a study in Brazil that said 92% of their participants, which was a large study, I think it was over a 1000 subjects, 92% reported having a mystical or religious or spiritual experience. And like that, to me, was really big, like 92%. And of course, Maslow says, we all have it. We just, you know, say it's a, a peak experience or something. Then we we do what you just did, Trish, earlier is like, oh, I'm getting too esoteric or too woo-woo or what, you know. And we do that because we're culture, you know, our culture says we're socialized to to not talk about this. We keep it in the closet. And I'm just wondering, is if more and more of us are waking up to these mystical transpersonal experiences and we begin to talk about it, if the statistics are really up, that Brazilian study also said, I think it was like 40-ish percent have ongoing reoccurring experiences. And the the 92% was just a one time, they've had at least one experience. That's a lot. So we're hiding these experiences. Trish, you came out talking about it with different people and there were consequences. Paul, you write in your book, Science Being and Becoming, The Spiritual Life of Scientists, the fear of scientists holding that in, hiding that, and we've been closeted for so long. Where are we going with Western medicine? Where are we going with science now? What's the bridge that's going to bring us to our Main Street mystics that we're all hoping for? You know, science, I listened to the introduction that you guys gave your first conversation. I really enjoyed that. And Paul, you said something that I so agree with, and I think I might have said it somewhere in the beginning of my book as well, that science is never the arbiter of truth. Science is not the arbiter of truth. But science is a marvelous tool if we're truly using science as it is intended. And much of science is not often used as it is intended. It's, it's practiced more like religion. But science is a marvelous tool. And there is such a body of research. And there are so many fine scientists exploring consciousness, exploring near-death experiences, exploring the, the arena of parapsychology. I, I devote a section of this in my book to all of that, and it's actually my favorite part of the book. There's a vast body of very fine research, and Western medicine, unfortunately, is not always open to, to exploring and reading the research of disciplines beyond its own. But if we can truly make inroads with science, and in good science it is, to demonstrate the veracity of the persistence of consciousness, for example. We don't just begin when we're born. We don't just end when we die, right? How might this change our entire construct, our entire understanding of health, illness, dying, health, illness, disease, dying, and death within the field of Western medicine? You know, Western medicine, essentially, I'm making a global generalization. Of course, there are exceptions, but it was my experience and my training, and it continues to be my experience, especially my experience lived through the people that come to work with me, is that we horribleize, we horribleize illness, we horribleize dying process, we horribleize death. We are in fear of the demise of the body. We are in fear of the absence of body. We're in fear of death. What if we could accommodate these notions of consciousness? What if we could really accommodate the notion that, well, we don't begin when we're born, we don't end when we die? And if we could 
use this marvelous science and if Western medicine could expand its reach a little bit to open to reading other journals, to reading other disciplines, we'd have an inroad to expanding the worldview of Western medicine. And we actually make people sick. We keep people sick. We can, ha- we can facilitate the rapidity of their dying because of how we think in Western medicine about illness, dying, and death. I'm, I'm, I'm eternally hopeful. I'm optimistic. But at the same time, I, I am skeptical in terms of the ability of the mainstream to transform rapidly. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I appreciate your, your description, your diagnosis of current Western medicine, Trish. But also, I appreciate your vision that it, it can change. There's a, there's a roadmap. And I think it is happening slowly as science itself is transforming. And I think the reason is, Julie, is the reason you just cited in that Brazil study, that there are so many people who have had at least a single, you mentioned 90 some percent, some kind of experience beyond the physical. Half of people out there are having it kind of continuously. The same holds for many scientists, many physicians in the West and they're the ones really driving the change, as you are, Trish. You're changing medicine because you've had these experiences some years ago, and they've been a guiding light for you. And people I interviewed in my book, it's the exact same thing. It is happening. It's slow. Unfortunately, the Western model, as you were describing it, Trish, is utterly still dominant. Our medical system is... I basically don't ever want to go into a hospital again unless my life absolutely depended on it. But otherwise, I, I, uh, I'm i not fond of what's been going on for many, many years. And frankly, it seems worse lately. And uh, we, we're in desperate need of a, a reboot. And I hope it happens sooner than later for all of our sakes. Mm. Thank you both for talking about that. I I know you wrote, Trish, Western medicine misunderstands the nature of human beings and the nature of being human. I used to work with clients and and I had a lot of them come to me as a closet mystic. They would come and want to talk about these experiences and, and even physicians and even pastors, you know, I, it's like, those were my two biggest clients, which was kind of funny to me. And of course the universe brings what we need. Right. And those are the domains that I'm working in. And I used to talk to them about, like, I would use the metaphor of blowing a fuse, like this expanded consciousness, this higher vibrational frequency to come into embodied form. We have to be careful. And, you know, sometimes we just blow fuses. And what does that look like? I'm wondering if either of you have tools or techniques. Trish, I know Beyond Medicine has so many. When you, you're really teaching that we can come to this state of calm and our thinking and our emotions come into homeostasis and the body responds and we heal. So as we're thinking about these kinds of mystical experiences, transpersonal experiences, all these innate capacities turning on and more and more, the the energy on the planet's shifting. And as a culture, there's so much breaking down. What would be some tools and techniques if we could help our listeners to perhaps view this journey in a safe way, um, kind of like inviting them to talk about the the before life and after death that consciousness goes on is one good technique that I think is really helpful in education or psychoeducation. But what other kinds of tools, what else is helpful? I think it was always helpful talking about blowing fuses. I had a, a brilliant young engineer working on the very first GPS on the planet. And he was my client. And he was so smart and he could see the whole thing before he could bring it into code and was writing the code for it and and was a part of the team that did the very first. And he literally blew a fuse, um, became psychotic. And um, those labels were real at that point. It wasn't, he was misdiagnosed. Those labels were so painfully real 
and he had a brilliant mind and it was it was painful for me of of how can i support him to come back into some kind of homeostasis without western medicine was was not an option at that time for him because he was going to jump off a building and he was you know it was really scary for him and his family so what tools what what would be some helpful tools techniques resources for those as they're entering this journey or on this journey so that it's a healthy part of our human development. Hmm. Trish, can you speak to that? I know you you cover a lot of good offerings in your book to help people along this journey. You know, I think the most powerful tools that we have are not tools that involve cognition. There's there's the there's the tool of cognitive dissonance which can help us to to change our thinking, change how we understand the world. But I think the most powerful tools are tools that allow us to have felt, sensed experiences. Tools that simply toggle on our parasympathetic nervous system, simply move us away from thinking cognitive place to a place of a place of calm. It doesn't mean we can't be thinking and, and be uh, be calm at the same time, but there are, there are many, many, many tools that can toggle on that parasympathetic nervous system that stop the thinking brain, that can move us away from fear, that can move us away from whatever emotions may be dominant and keeping us in a state of dis-ease, imbalance, um, away from that place of balance where we experience ease and where we can be open and will be open to these these beyond experiences, if that makes sense. Yeah. The most powerful and the simplest tool is simply is simply breathing using our own breath, our own life force. And there are many many different types of breathing exercises that can allow us to come to that place of parasympathetic peace. Beautiful. I think there's another tool you mentioned in your book. I I think you'd consider this a tool and I I want to read a little something. Uh, In your book, Trish, you quote Rumi's poem, The Guest House. And for you, it reminds us that if we can surrender to all that is, we're taken care of. It reminds us that it's in the being, not the doing, that all is well. So you speak to us about surrender. And I'd like to know what that means to you, because many people view surrender as a kind of giving up or throwing in the towel. And if we say to surrender to things as they are, they, they do. They feel it's a kind of a giving up. But but I, I, I have a sense of what you're speaking about because I do think surrender is a very powerful uh, hu- human ability and gift if we know how to do it properly and in what setting. So what does that mean to you? Thank you. That's a great, great question. Great reflection on some of what I've written. Yes, yeah, surrender in... in in my book and in my intention is the notion of just surrendering to what we are experiencing, surrendering to all that is, not fighting it, not struggling it, not trying to change it, and simply surrendering to the experience of the present moment, no matter what that experience is. It might be an emotion that feels difficult. It might be a sensation that feels uncomfortable. But it's through being present with it, leaning into it, that it will shift. What we resist persists, that kind of very common <laughs> common theme. What we resist persists. Resistance, trying, struggling, doing, activity to make things go away, to make things happen, to change things, whether... In my line of work, for many people, that's a health issue. Although I work with people with whole person healing and navigating life, so it might be something else in their lives. But fighting it, trying to make it change, trying to make it go away, doesn't work. It's surrendering to what we're experiencing then opens us up. It places our body, mind, in the place it needs to be for healing. Healing will not happen otherwise. And it opens us up to an infinitude of possibilities for things to shift. That, again, sounds maybe like magical thinking, but I consider it actually uh, a truth, uh, an an essential truth of nature, of our nature. So it's not giving up. And yes, many people do interpret sundering as just throwing in the towel or giving up or not trying. 
It's just surrendering to what is. It doesn't mean we never take action, but that action arises from a place of clarity, a place of inspiration. And we achieve that clarity and we find that inspiration when we surrender and lean into what we're experiencing. And the tools that I offer, just to return briefly to my book, I offer what I call the five absolute health tools. There are tools for helping us to cultivate this being here now with what is experience. That being here now with what is experience, where we need to be for healing to happen, or where we need to be to get clear or to feel inspired or to know what action to take. So rather than trying to figure it out and doing, 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 like many of us, and I've been there myself, do when we think there's something that needs to be remedied. It's surrendering and letting go of the trying that all can arise with ease. Mm, beautiful. If I can add to that, I, I you, you gave me an insight, actually, I've, I've never had around this phenomenon of surrender. And you, you just spoke how when we surrender to whatever's going on, first and foremost, it helps put our body in a state of ease because we're not fighting what's going on. And that, to me, gets back to what you mentioned, I think, earlier in our show about the vagus nerve and everything that offers us as far as rest and restoration, clarity of mind. So thank you. That was beautiful. It gave me insight into one of the mechanisms of why surrender is important. From there begin our next steps. I agree. And thank you. The, Trish, your, your book is filled with those really simple easy, like I, I can't, like it's for physical healing, your meditation, mirror work, journaling, breathing, like you have so many really easy, down to earth, practical tools for us that work for physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing, and I believe our spiritual healing as we're waking to this new awareness and 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 having these experiences i believe all of your tools can help us assist on this journey so thank you uh, the book is just filled with really great examples of that and just ironic i want to i just want to point this out because as we're talking about our series to me i really wanted to have you on with your personal experience trish because of how we've been treated how we've treated this as Western medicine. And then the irony is now, as I said in the intro, things are changing. Like the irony of how we're treating trauma now with psychedelics. Like we're introducing these kinds of experiences for post-traumatic stress and it's having amazing results. So here we were shutting it down, locking people up, over-medicating them, saying, don't have these experiences. And now we're really shifting and we're inducing these experiences and having amazing results in trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder. I think it's fascinating. And I think that that research, along with the near-death experiences and some of the paranormals that we've been talking about, some of that research is really going to help us shift now in the the mainstream thinking about all of this spiritual experience, I think. Do you guys have any insight about the post-traumatic stress or trauma and 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 introducing that? Any any thoughts about that? I'm familiar with that research going on now, Julie. I really appreciate your insight on that, uh, how we've just we've done this 360. And thank goodness all the gifts of plant medicines. And uh, some people need that done in a very, um, say, safe setting, which that's being offered. And yeah, the outcomes are beautiful because it does open the door to us, much as you shared in your book, Trish. Those early experiences gave you many, many gifts, but one of the main ones was that ever-present knowing. As love is the foundation, the unit of nature of everything, that has never left you. That is the beauty of opening up to these things. I think that it's such an auspicious time to be alive on this planet. And we're talking about this, these experiences and, and really Trish, what you're encouraging us to do is to put this lens of unity on this lens of oneness 
and look through that lens as we go about our lives and, and healing. I wonder if there's anything that is important about your research, Trish, and your book. You've shifted your medical practice. You're still working with patients in a very different way. Tell us how you see the future of healing from your perspective and what you would like to see happen on our planet. Oh, Julie, that's a wonderful, big question. <laughs> First off, I'd like, I'd like to see us really returning um, to the notion that the healer lies within. The healer lies within. That we are our own medicine. We are our own guru. Doesn't mean we never seek help from the outside. We may need the assistance of outside helpers. We may need the assistance of Western medicine even. I don't deny that. I've, as you mentioned when you introduced me, I've been a patient many times over and some of those experiences required Western medicine. <laughs> I couldn't cure my appendicitis with acupuncture needles even though I tried. <laughs> Although that it can happen. Acupuncture can cure appendicitis, let me say that. But So I would like to return the notion that the healer lies within um, and that healing, that healing isn't necessarily a return to the physical body. Healing is a return to our experience of our state of oneness. Healing is a return to our experience of fearlessness. Healing is a return, I'm going to sound corny, healing is a return to love, (laughs) to quote someone we know, Marion Williamson. Empowering individuals to know that their inner healer, their inner guru lies within, and that healing is not necessarily getting better in the body. The healing is a return to a state of peace, a well-being. And again, isn't that really all we could ask for? If we could really know how to access our inner wisdom, our inner healer, to experience that place of well-being that is our essential nature, wouldn't that really be all we might ask for? Then we would really be fearless. We would be fearless in the light of whatever we might be experiencing, whatever life might be throwing at us or offering us. So that those are, are two key elements that I hope to see in in the evolution of our our, our, our practical evolution of of teaching people about healing and their powers and and again the the unlimited nature the in the infinite nature of our experience. I bet Paul has a last question here for us, but I just had this insight when you were talking too. I, I love that both of us had insights from you today that's new. Patricia, as you were talking, I was seeing these very experiences that we're talking about being our healers, like literally our innate capacities turning on. And all of a sudden, this this capacity that we've been afraid of, remote viewing, you know, like a lot of the things that we have been afraid of become the medicine that ushers us into this new unitive age. So it can be rather exciting to to just move toward these capacities as our medicine, as our healer. I love that. Thank you. That's beautifully put, Julie. I love that insight. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Paul, do you have a last question for Trish? Or maybe two or three, but no, not a question at the moment. I was just taken by we are our own medicine that you said, Trish, and I appreciated that. It reminded me of a, another saying often uh, used along the spiritual journey that we are whom we have been looking for on the spiritual path. People look outside of themselves for, for some answer to the spiritual, and then ultimately it is found within, and that's where the healing occurs. And I also appreciated very, very much so, Trish, that the healing doesn't necessarily mean physical health and restoration. It has to do with spiritual health and well-being. And if we have that, damn, we've got we've got everything, really. Mm. Nice. Well, Trish, we have a little segment that we sometimes bring up called the interview instead of the interview, the interview. And I'm, I'm going to invite you into the interview with a twist, if you would like. You are an intuitive, you work with patients from a distance, you have a lot of a lot of capacity, but you're also really attuned with your dog. And he's 
He's right there with you. So I'm just wondering between you and or the essence of having your dog right there with you, if there's anything that needs to be said in this moment that comes from that deep place of inner wisdom. Just simply that all is well, all is well. Nothing needs to change. All is well now. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Thank you. And that is a message that we all need to hear in so many levels. So thank you. All is well. It brings me to the, the thread, the golden thread through your book about returning to that ease, that place of ease. So Trish, thank you so much for being with us today and bringing your wisdom and really sharing your personal experience with us too. I think it's so important that we know real people who've had these experiences and, and look at us over a lifetime, what we can bring to the world because of these experiences. You've, you've literally worked to change medicine and, and how we educate medical students. Thank you for your service in that. Yeah. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. That was very generous of you. Beautiful. Thank you, Trish. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank both of you. You you gave me the opportunity to be who I am and share share where I've been, and that is a gift in itself. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you. I know it's I, I read in your the right at the beginning of your book, I have to tell you. I wrote right in the beginning of my book. Paul wrote right in the beginning of his book. And then I read it right in the beginning of your book of that vulnerability of sharing our stories. But I really appreciated your courage and your willingness to say, you know what, if I don't share the depth of my experience, who really wants to read any of this, right? Who who wants to listen to me? And I really, really appreciate you moving through that that fear and that vulnerability, because I had the same thing with my book. I, I shared all kinds of experiences that would probably lock me up. And um, they probably want to lock away the key when they lock me up with some of the experiences I shared in my book. And Paul had that same reservation and a lot of it because of the profession, right? And, and all three of us are professionals that have had that, that fear kind of always there to be respected and listened to and taken seriously. So anyway, yeah, thank you. It's a beautiful opportunity to have you share your story with us. And listeners, I want to leave you with the words of Patricia in her book, Beyond Medicine. And go find this book, A Physician's Revolutionary Prescription for Achieving Absolute Health and Finding Inner Peace. She writes, we experience peace of mind and body When we stop trying to change things, when we stop trying to fix things, when we can just be here now, surrendering to the present moment, being present with what is, is how we get out of the way. And you heard her say, when we get out of the way, our way appears. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is the Main Street Mystic Series with co-host Paul J. Mills. And together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform. Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash all things connected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.